Inquisitor, we discovered this relic hidden deep in the hinterlands. It must be some very old magic written by Aaron Thompson. Josh Karam. And Matt Werner. It's something called the Dungeons and Gatherers Podcast. Podcast. Josh and Aaron here with very special guest Matt Warner. Uh, Aaron, we got a really fun D and D topic today. Yeah, our episode today is all about politics in D and D. How to play a political game. What makes a politically driven game different than your average dungeon crawler or your usual like let's save the world kind of game. Something that sort of borrows, in my mind, I think, from the subject of our intro, like the Dragon Age games. Very political, where all of your choices matter and have lasting impacts. Definitely. And of course, this is a little bit hard to see at first because uh, D&D is such a combat-focused module with the way it's built. Every character has huge combat components of this. But our special guest today, Matt, has been running a D&D campaign that is very politically focused. So before we really dive into it, Matt, I don't know if you want to just do a quick intro uh, about you in the D&D world. Well, not you as a character in the D&D world, but how you got into D&D, your involvement with it, etc. Yeah, I got you. No, so I am an actor and a writer living out in LA. And back in high school, I started with my actor friends starting to do some role-playing games. We never got as serious as Dungeons and Dragons, but I find that acting and role-playing games are so closely, like they're so similar in what they're trying to do and in an exercise of empathy and an exercise of speculative fiction. And so it always really connected with me as a long form of improv, really. And then once I got to college, I actually made my first D&D campaign ever with with Josh here. Oh, um, part of the reason why Josh and I have become such lovely friends. It's remained all this time. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I actually I started with Pathfinder. And we did Pathfinder for a little bit. And then our friend Hobbs picked up, started doing a campaign. And from there, we played for... Almost two and a half years in college, I guess, before we wrapped up that campaign. campaign. Yeah. And then since then, I have just taken off with it and read so much lore and engaged in so much actual play content and played as many campaigns as I can weasel my way onto the table for. (laughs) I I completely get it. I mean, the last thing we played together, was it the Harry Potter-esque uh, module that I was running was that the last thing we did together? I'm trying. I'm trying to recall. That was the last thing I was an official player for, but I guested in yours and Aaron's home campaign. Oh, that I was, was after. Say, yes. You play a wonderful warforged Artur who has the best laugh I've ever, I've ever heard. <laughs> I, it is. It's a blast. If if anybody, if you're ever a DM, I highly recommend bringing in like special guests and little one-off characters. Um, it's a lot of fun. You can use them to lore dumps. So you don't have to, which is really useful. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but I had a blast playing with you guys. I think that's the last time we played together, Josh. It's funny because you were an advisor to, in our campaign, Hadrian, who is king. And if Hadrian gets his kingdom back, he's going to have a lot of decisions to make when it comes to politics. So, Matt, if we could start off with this. What was the style of the political S campaign that you were running? Essentially, each of my players was asked to create a character that surrounded a sort of low-level uh, government official. And this was uh, specifically in our world, it was a governor of one of the like outlying colonies that this main government had had, co- had colonized, essentially. At its core, right away, with 
the moral issues of colonization, the moral issues of governing a populace that doesn't want you to be there. Thank God, because the minute you said colony, I went, oh no. Yeah, no, <laughs> and so I- I'm glad you handled it so well. <laughs> uh, my my players were asked to, to really dive into that, and several of them were actively fighting against the systems that they were a part of from within, and we started there, was sort of the setup. I really let them, I think, and maybe they would disagree, maybe they would feel differently, but I <laughs> feel that they had the chance to explore the world and make wild and different choices. And quickly they <laughs> quickly they stopped all of their governance and became a revolutionary group. Yes. Like, very, very quickly. Because <laughs> D&D is still D&D. You have combat abilities for a reason. It, it seems like people are like, well, now I want to use all these combat feats that I have. Peaceful protest can only really get you so far, um, especially when you have fireball. Why not? <laughs> and that's what I found really, really enthralling for me about running a politically heavy campaign was sort of asking my players to reckon with these ideas of seeing something wrong in society and what is the right way to go about it. And the reason I the DM was necessary is because each choice they made had consequences. Choosing to be revolutionaries, uh, choosing to stop their governance, left a region in essentially a civil war. Um, left a region with these guards and mercenaries from the capital city just there trying to defend a governor's mansion from an unruly, from an upset, rightfully so, upset populace. And so their decision to stop governments, governance led to lives lost, innocent lives lost. It was a heavy campaign. I'm not going to say that like it was, uh, it was super fun and giggly all the time, which many of my <laughs> D&D campaigns tend to be. I think when you're like a positive and fun person, it's hard to let the entire giggleness, we'll call it then, of a campaign like disappear because you're going to make jokes as characters always, whether it is in or outside of character. Like, it's bound to happen. I also find, especially when you have really tense episodes, the next episode is almost always going to be just like off the walls hilarious. Just because, like, I don't think people deal super well with being in high stress, like, really high stakes situations all the time. Like, they need an outlet. And so they're going to, like, sort of bounce off of that energy. We found the same thing. It was, it was not, it was never going to be sustainable. And I think we knew that going in to simply do high stress political, go political governance and uh, revolution every single episode without break. Because oh, <laughs> <laughs> I would think it just would have worn my players out. In fact, right. I actually did find one of my players uh, was getting very worn out. She had made, she, she and I early on had created this character that was very much from the central government. Mm. And uh, her family was very much immersed in the central government and her family was cold and calculated. And then the player was, it, she was not having fun uh, some sessions, having to reckon with these like, these like moral quandaries of like, what do I owe to my family? In a political campaign, you have to walk a really fine line. You have to have that communication with your players because as soon as I realized she wasn't having a good time, we changed things. We made things different. We made adjustments, which is I think the biggest thing that I would say, if you're thinking about DMing a political campaign or any campaign that is meant to be very heavy emotionally, you gotta have open and clear communication with your players. I just love that every guest we have on is always like, talk to your players, guys, because it makes me feel better about the fact that I say it on every other podcast. <laughs>
<laughs> it's true. It, it really is the message that we convey all the time. The first thing I want to say about all that, Matt, is I love the idea about consequences or the actions you take have consequences. And I think it's important as a DM, whenever you introduce an entire world or you yourself homebrew an entire world, things aren't just happening where the party is. Even though I do believe truly that the party of players is very special and it is their story. Thank you. But still. Like, there's a whole different world going on. And in Amira, uh, after your character left, Matt, um, a decision that the party made of a place to go, a huge uh, political duel happened in another country, and one of the leaders vying for power is dead now in that country. So. Yeah, that sucked. That was really rough. It, yeah. like, <laughs> I know, oh, I know. Was, it, I thought he was going to be, like, a player in this, and now he's dead. <laughs> Not a fun drop to make, no. But, again, it's just, like, the weight of decisions has to have something. Because I think that's, like, the biggest line of, like, wanting to do something a little more political in d d is because when you're doing this, like, thing, I'm going to do combat all the way, it really is just like, all right, I'm going to vanquish that foe. Great. All right, where's the next foe that I can vanquish? <laughs> And I think when you were talking about it, Aaron, and you introduced me to the lovely game of Dragon Age, Thank and you. I've been having an absolute blast with it, I think it's very cool that not only you, the, the whole game is almost like, I don't know, when you think about most video games, it's like, ah, skip the cutscenes because I want to get to the combat. Similar to D&D, sometimes people are like, I don't want to talk, I want to fight. But this does the inverse, where it's like, ah, the combat is whatever and the, uh, the the conversations and the dialogue is what I want, which I don't know if I'm speaking for all of us, but that's how we all like to play D&D, where it's more about the interactions rather than the combat that we take. I can definitely say that um, in Dragon Age, I 100% I agree. Like I just fight to like be done with things, and I just like to talk. I live much more for the RP in that game. And I think I feel similarly about D&D, although I love a very like cinematic fight. So, like, a fight that has a lot of RP baked into it, you know, where you're, like, getting in cool quips and, like, making cool moves much more than, like, we stand there on our grid and we just, like, roll dice at each other, you know? So I think it, it becomes a matter of, like, if your campaign has more combat but, like, people are getting bored with it, it's, like, a matter of making it interesting and making the specific moves in combat affect the environment. I think there's also something to be said there, at least in the political campaign, combat became way more important each combat mattered and had a lot of stakes to it so on top of being more cinematic and i think it i I love how you described that aaron a fight where there's so much rp baked in and there's so much um they're they're affecting the world while they do it to me in the political campaigns in a campaign that is uh, very, very story-driven, each fight should hold weight. Like, there's nothing to me more boring than your encampment is attacked by four kobolds. Mm-hmm. The classic, <laughs> like, you meet bandits on the road. Go off. Because to me, it doesn't... Those don't feel like there's there's massive stakes to them. I mean, sure, obviously, fighting has its own stakes built in, but y- you're escorting the governor back to the capital city... And there are assassins there to to kill the governor. Losing the combat or, or failing to achieve your goals will have massive repercussions on the world and on their personal lives. I like the sound of that a lot more. Yeah, the combat becomes a lot more personally driven. Um, and that's what I sh- strove for in in the campaign that I was building. 
it's so fascinating that a lot of when you look at D&D books and like how to build your own campaign, a lot of the times they mention things like, here's a random encounter list, but all the encounters are just combat related things. It's like, here's four spiders or here's two ants or whatever. Sorry, tree ant is the D&D term. I can't Thank use you. ant, otherwise that's copyright. <laughs> but the idea that even if it is some kind of four bandits appear on the road, the fact that it doesn't have to be like, well, I've got to kill them, right? That's the only option. I remember that uh, Rachel, who was playing Zoe and Amira one time, she uh, <laughs> there was this huge Etten with two heads that was coming at her, and she just talked giant and said, oh, no, go over there. There's some food that way. And he's like, yeah, and the persuasion was great. So he's just like, okay, I'm going to just go over that way. I'll, I'll see you guys in like an hour. And you just avoided combat. Like, mm-hmm. I think the fact of like why we want like to think about things being maybe more of a political campaign is just to add more choices than fighting so it's like what you said each combat is important it Mm -hmm. means something there's weight to every combat yeah it makes the combat have like a specific reason because i'm thinking like bandits don't just like occur you know like they don't just become highwaymen because they feel like it right usually like crime occurs from like a destabilized political climate so it's like it makes more sense if you're having this like random quote-unquote random bandit encounter it begs the question of like well where did the bandits come from what do they want like why are how are they not having their needs met and so they felt that that they had to turn to crime to like support themselves so i have a question for both of you then uh some that i think about with maybe doing a uh, political campaign in the near future I love the idea of a concept where a campaign revolves around one place and then you kind of get sent off to do various things from that one place. Uh, Similar to Dragon Age or a lot of different video games where you have your home base and you operate through that and go out rather than what I usually do as a DM where mine's very adventure-based and you're kind of just traveling around. First off, what do you think about if you were to run a campaign, what would you do when it comes to one place and sending people off in different directions? But also making sure that remains interesting, always going back to the same place. Not like, oh, we got to go back to home base to do things again. Yeah, that actually was the original intent I had with the political campaign we were just talking about. Was that they would be a small elite team working for this governor. And they would travel around this governor's region and into neighboring regions to accomplish goals. And then they would return And what I had planned was the idea that each time they left, when they came back, something would have changed. There were some consequences to not being at home. And they're not always dire. They're not always as drastic as the governor's been kidnapped. Things have changed in the days, weeks, months that this party has been gone. The world keeps on living in their home base. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's similar. The campaign that I play in Eberron, which I've talked about a few times, um, it's is a lot like that. Um, so we just like we're on our little journey outside of Sharn, and then we're like we get updates in our like Roll Twenty campaign journal, and he'll be like, so and so had a like a foreign dignitary over for tea. You know, like everybody in this house seems to be like at unrest over their new guests, and it's just these like little tips and like little quips about like what's going on back in Sharn while we're not there? Which is just, it's really cool. And um, I'm a big fan of it. It's keeping me on edge. It's, um, and it's cool for once I'm playing a D&D character that has an apartment. Um, and it's sort of nice to like be able to go back home at the end of the adventure and like 
you know, chat with my roommate and just like have have some place to sort of like crash at the end. So you're not always like building a campsite or like looking for an inn. It's good to have a space that like is your own that you then go out from. And I think specifically with a place like Sharn, like it's big enough that you can have your whole like you could have a whole adventure just in that city itself. Similarly, when I DM in Ravnica, right, Ravnica feels a lot more like a whole continent, like a whole world, because, like, the whole, it is a whole plane that is a city than just yeah. one city. It is a giant place. Yeah, it's huge, and every place in it is so diverse and different that, like, just walking down the street feels like you're going to an entirely new corner of the world. Yeah, and I also love that from the fact that, like, your home base is those moments where you get to be like, this is a big place or a big world that we have here. What's been going on in other places? Like, mm-hmm. you said inviting someone over to tea. I can't believe I'm using this expression, but uh, what's the latest tea, right? Uh, oh, wow, I, Josh. I can't, that seems I can't, so organic. I can't be hip. Like, it's impossible for me. I try. I try so hard to do it, but it just doesn't come naturally. I'm but sorry, Truly, those secrets are spilled over tea. That's better. See, that was natural. <laughs> I'm also really excited to hear to ta- hear you talk, Aaron, about the idea of coming home to a roommate and to an apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is, I think it's maybe because I'm this, like, weird, like, fresh out of college 20-something <laughs> that just likes to play out those parts of my life. No, but like as an as an actor and a writer who loves D and D particularly because it's an exercise in empathy, um, having a home base and being able to have a life outside of the adventure really opens the door to some amazing and fun character choices. Mm-hmm. I've always felt a little bit limited when building characters for these massive campaigns where we crawl across continents, because. You have to build a character who finds fulfillment in doing that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, my character is a taxi cab driver and, like, a part-time night school student um, that attends, like, family dinner every Sunday, you know? Absolutely. It's, co- it's super and, cool. And part-time night, night college students and taxi cab drivers should be just as able to lead the life of an adventurer without having to, like, abandon their whole life. Right. And I think that that's such like a fun, compelling story that I haven't had the chance to play with a D&D character. The idea of like having a place to come back to and getting to play a character that has more going on than adventure. I'm, I'm always surprised how fun, how much fun I have role playing or like rolling dice for like, Aaron, you're running late for work again. You know, like, or I'm waiting for the day that, like, our DM makes us take a test. And he's like, roll history to remember how much you studied last night. Like, I'm ready for that. It reminds me of, we watch these actual, I, I watch and listen to these actual play shows. Um, and I think of Brennan Lee Mulligan and Dimension 20. I Oh, I love Dimension 20. I'm behind on um, Critical Role, so I can't reference it as fluidly. Aren't we all? <laughs> We're all perpetually a little behind on Critical Role. I, I remember when they, it was in their second season when the, that cast was doing Unsleeping City and Siobhan Thompson was playing Misty Moore. She had to do performance checks to see if she learned her lines for the Broadway show she was in. I love that so much. And she, that is so cool. And she didn't. Like, she, they were too <laughs> busy. She oh, hadn't no. learned her lines, so she just had a really embarrassing <laughs> rehearsal um, that her awesome. character then had to cope with. But it's this idea that I love when characters get to have other lives, other things that are important to them. It makes them feel more real. Yeah, that's how we all are. 
I think the thing that I wanted to bring up too about these concepts of having like whether it is a home base and a campaign or the the political thing we're talking about is that there are mechanics in D and D that are built for proficiencies in certain tools. You know, if you want, if you're a carpenter on the side or full time, and you're just adventure or part time, you know, you have a carpentry shop. Or there are mechanics of getting large places, like there are houses, like prices for housing. There's prices for breweries, things like that, like things that could build. Uh, whether you're someone who wants to like build a life within a city or something like that. I remember there's only one campaign I've ever done like this. Me and the party were just like, you know what? There's this plot of land. Can we like look into buying a brewery and run it together as a party? And the DM's like, I'll crunch the numbers, but yeah, that's something we could totally do. And it was a fulfillment I never felt in D&D before because it was like, it's that place you could come home to. And I think like in every D&D campaign, we could have these really rough, hard moments, but there's always those sessions that smooth things over. And I think having those places you could call home, those jobs that you do, or those kingdoms you could go home to, just allows even for more just relaxation and kind of like, this is something my character loves to do, so this is what they would do to unwind in those tense situations. Mm -hmm. It's like the Cheers theme. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Norm! (laughs) I just want to be Norm now in D&D. Now I have... Um, this concept in my mind when you said carpentry he's like a part time carpenter it's like this midwest like 50 year old dad who's like well I just dropped off my son at soccer practice and I figured I'd go through this dungeon before I put the satin on this house <laughs> well we gotta be done before 4 otherwise oh right. God, they're gonna be mad at me I have to plug it because I think it's so much fun are you guys familiar with the Dungeons and Dads podcast yes I just started listening to it recently funny enough and our Rachel talks about it all the time when we play dandy it's a lot of fun but it is literally for soccer dads I who have to who so have to much. rescue their sons it's so good it really is so amazing <laughs> <laughs> so I, the thing i wanted to talk about before we get into a really special segment at the end what is something that all of us would recommend as something to do to run a political campaign an advice we have or something to watch out for when running a political campaign i think my biggest tip is just to to know that nothing happens in a vacuum in a political campaign. Everybody is where they are because of the circumstances that have led them there. Like what I was saying with the bandits, right? Like they're not just bandits like because you need them to be. They're bandits for a reason. And they're they're there doing crime because they have nothing else to do. Also, it's funny because the majority of creatures in the D&D books are humanoid. And usually those are people. So mm-hmm. you assume that people and they have, have lives. Yeah. The majority of D&D monsters, they're considered monsters. And even monsters, like animals, not all animals are out there to murder you, right? Like sometimes no. you're like on their territory or, you know, like it's the mating season and they view you as a, a breeding threat. Exactly. As they should. Yeah. As they should. Thank you. Should. <laughs> There's just this large druid is entering the space yes. and they're like, get away. And they're like, <laughs> like get I know, away from my man. I know what's about to happen and it's not going to be good for my sex life. Um... <laughs> 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 uh, um, I, my big recommendation for a political campaign, I would recommend, and I think that this was something that was pretty specific to my table and something I would have changed, don't start too heavy and don't start too big. Because um, I think it was one of the failings of my story that we started off with all of them having to grapple with colonization of a native populace. And it was... It's a lot, and my players very quickly rebelled against that. 
And so there wasn't a lot of time for growth. It went from zero to 100 very, very quickly. Um, because your players have all the agency. That's the beauty of D&D, is that it's a collaborative speculative fiction. And so start small. Start with one city and the problems of one city. And there might not be a perfect solution, but start there. And then let it build and build and build. Um, as your characters level up, which is fun too. Which is how the game's supposed to work. Exactly. But don't go into it thinking, we're going to tackle a corrupt parliament that is occupying the eastern portion of this country. Because your players are really quickly going to hate that. Like, you're level one. You're level one through five, and you're like, I want to deal with the problem in another country. It's like, hold on, hold on. The yeah. Dungeon Master Guide tells us that's not something you should be focusing on yet. Exactly. But if you if you, if you you tease them with, with massive political governance issues, they're going to want to tackle those. Yeah, totally. I think the one thing that I'm going to recommend, and this is like really nerdy, so please stop me if this gets to be too much, but in the Dungeon Master's Guide, yes. they do have all these really cool set rules for like, what do you do when you need to build something for yourself? If you're like part of this government, you're Skyhold in Dragon Age, let's say for an example, and you need to build stuff for it, like an armory or like buying weapons and things like that, I would recommend like, Take a step back from the combat and look at all the amazing things that you can build as your own fortress to kind of build your own place in a political world. So use references from the Dungeon Master Guide to kind of create these awesome things that you look forward to rather than taking down a really bad guy or stopping an evil group of giant spiders that live just below the earth. Like, there's so many other great things that are in characters' backgrounds and within the Dungeon Master's Guide itself that you could look forward to building. These are all wonderful tips. I've never read the Dungeon Master's Guide. Haven't even cracked it. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I'll send you some pages. I'll send you the spots. <laughs> I have the it. Notes. I have it, and I've DM'd a lot now, and I <laughs> never even opened it. Yes. Good. What an excellent foil to um, when we had Eli and Seth on two weeks ago now. Because they're very big. Like, the book says we do the book, book, book. To then yeah. be like, I've actually never looked at the Dungeon Master's Guide I'm doing all right. There's just lots of ways to play, folks. I'm running a campaign right now, just as a statement to everybody who's out there thinking they want to try DMing and they're nervous too because it's a lot. I'm currently running a campaign where I don't plan at all. Yeah! Um, <laughs> and it is almost fully improvised. I kind of have a vague idea in my head of where I want to send the players, but they are exploring this world and I am rolling random encounters for them and I am improvising cities and and little tiny villages for them to uh, come across. And so it doesn't need to be this massive endeavor of planning a continent and dealing with colonization. It can be so much smaller. It can be so much more improvised. It doesn't have to be this massive endeavor for you. I like that. Go improv. I think that's what I even said on the last episode with Seth and Eli, that my number one tip as a DM is don't be afraid of the improv because you can always plan way too much. You can definitely much. tell that you two are actors. <laughs> yeah. What? What? No. What? We, we didn't go to the same school or anything. We didn't go to the same school for acting. Speaking exactly. of schools, um, <gasps> or maybe not schools, I think it's time for our bracket and I'd like to start it off with my favorite showdown between the nerds and the jocks. We've got 
Wizards versus sorcerers. That was your description for a sorcerer. Yeah, they're like the cool kids. They just like have natural talent. They don't need to study. Fuck okay. books. I get that. All right, then. I see that. I like that. Yeah, so the good thing is today we actually have three people, which means that there can't I be know. a tie. However, we were shocked. I'm so we had sorry, two- studio audience. I love having you break our ties. Um, I might abstain just to cause a tie because I'm good. contentious like that. Could be fun. Also, my Instagram fans have never let me down, and I've always picked the one that I want. So, And oh, okay. my Instagram fans have always gone against me and picked the one that Aaron wants. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's my, my life. My track record's yeah. pretty good, yeah. My immediate thoughts are, I think the wizard has more utility just through the sheer amount of spells it can do, and it gets ritual casting, which the sorcerer does not. But I think the sorcerer actually has better support capabilities because of the ways that you can use meta magic, like I've talked before. And also like the divine soul sorcerer gets the whole cleric spell list. So you get meta magic influenceable cleric spells, which can be really, really handy. I'm gonna bring in a little bit of a different point of view to this um, with the knowledge that like, I feel like I know a lot about d and I really do at this point, um, but I've never Humble played brag. a wizard and I've never actually seen a wizard played. Oh, And wizards seem, I'm not gonna lie. Very scary and very complicated. And they, it feels like it's um, their mechanics for learning spells. Don't they require like hours spent in world studying? Yes. And like money. Yeah, which to, like, seems write them into your book. Which seems complicated, unnecessarily so. And I have played sorcerers mostly because I look at sorcerers and I go, yeah, I can handle that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the right level of crunchy that for me. That's fine. Because uh, I think yeah, that and- from a player's point of view, you do still get crunch. You get those meta magics. You get these awesome abilities um, that are a lot of fun to play with. And so I'm leaning towards Sorcerer, even though I'm sure wizards have... I know, I know wizards have this massive spell list and this massive ability to learn spells. But yeah, I still... I'm, I'm leaning towards Sorcerer right now. And I say what you will about the sorcerer's spell list. I'm also showing my bias, right? So <laughs> look out, Josh. Even if the sorcerer can only learns, even if the divine soul sorcerer only learns one healing spell, right, in its whole career, that will still be more healing spells than the wizard could ever learn. Because wizards don't heal. They just can't. That's fair. So I think in that way, you get, you get just more opportunities to play a supportive role. The class allows for that. No, that's a good point. I I completely understand these points of view. I played a sorcerer for a very long time, much longer than I played a wizard for, and I had an absolute blast playing as a sorcerer, and I love sorcerers, but if you put a level 20 wizard and a level 20 sorcerer next to each other and they both went through a full campaign together, the wizard is going to be looking a stronger and much scarier opponent to face than the sorcerer. What makes you say My that? My vote is for the wizard. Just because of, like, the sheer amount of spells it can know? Because they both get the same amount of spell slots. Exactly, but there's a point where you're playing the game and you've obtained so much gold, especially if you're playing for 20 levels, where you've earned so much gold that you can copy all the spells in the world that you want. And it's just the fact of that and that advantage of having so much diversity in your spell casting that I'm just going to be team wizard. Yeah, I I hear you with the flexibility. I really do. I just I think that the meta magic is so powerful and allows for more flexible casting in combat. And though they're pulling from a smaller spell list, 
gives them less flexibility, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're any less potent. It also occurs to me that if if the sorcerer and the wizard go shot for shot, the sorcerer can make more spell slots, so then like its casting resources are greater than the wizard's. I'm imagining the two of them fighting, and it's just like, counterspell, counterspell. <laughs> just it's just going to be a constant counterspell fight. Remind me, do sorcerer... Wizards regain on short rest, right? They do, yes. Do and sorcerers? at level 20, the sorcerers get sorcery points back. So Okay, got it. I still think wizards get more with the short rest recovery. Yeah, because the level 20 sorcerer ability is actually not good at all. Um, no. You get five sorcery points back on a short rest, which is nothing. Because um, there are now magic items in Tasha's that do more. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it, it is a little sad that that, that beeth the case. Mm-hmm. All right, so we should probably wrap this up so we have enough time to talk about our next one. I'm voting wizard. Sorcerer. Uh, I'm going to abstain. Make the people vote. Make them do it. <laughs> oh, you suck. Aaron shows well a done, clear Aaron. bias for sorcerers. And I then do. leaves them hanging. <laughs> Aaron trusts their followers to make sure they vote how Aaron wants to. That's why Aaron's done this. But I know, I think this is the time that my followers betray me. I think it's because, like, I know it's the wrong choice, but also it's the right choice. Uh, (laughs) We'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Well, time to get off spellcasting, then. Let's go to our marshal. So we've got um, the ranger, another one of my make the people vote and they will pick for me classes, uh, versus the rogue. All right. I I feel as though I'm just going to say it outright. Like, I get it. I was against the ranger, okay? A lot of people on the podcast say, why do you hate rangers so much? I don't. I really like rangers. (laughs) I need to preface this because these comments are probably going to come back to bite me. I think the rogue is superior in every way, shape, or form, except when it comes to the support healing part of it. Mm-hmm. The rogue's damage output is significantly more than the ranger, and I find the utility of the rogue to be significantly more. The sneaking, the face of the ranger, and every or the face of the rogue is better than the ranger. So I just can't say no to a rogue. And also, even with things like evasion and such, you can get in there. You could like you know dodge around hits as we talked about the rogue versus the barbarian it's almost like the rogue kind of takes that role of being able to be in combat for a little longer because they can reduce their damage so rogue i wanna i want to agree i think rogues even even at low levels can just be like massive big hitters who can avoid taking damage and i think that in combat that's literally all you need if you can dole out damage and not take it then you're Mm. gonna be a far stronger a far stronger combatant and i feel like rogues will always do that better than rangers will as far as support and utility obviously the rangers have spells but you could always do um arcane trickster you could get some spells but i also think that because of because of things like expertise because of things like um reliable talent performing proficiency checks the rogues are always going to outshine rangers in in what they're in their talents and in their skill sets i do love the ranger i fought for the ranger but i play a rogue and she the proof is in the pudding truly ariadne is a badass um and nothing can kill her yeah and i i like usually i play support characters but like i feel like my support is not needed because i can do so much in combat doing damage and my perception checks are so unmatched. That sneak attack die is taking out the ranger. The rogue is yeah, moving truly. on. I've thought about it, Josh, and I'm not going to abstain. I'm going to let my sorcerer win. 
I demand Whoa, it. you're changing it up. Okay, then. I know. Or Sorry, as much as I love to let you all vote, I need this win so bad. The public is going to be furious. I know. I'm going to oh, get so much hate in my so DMs. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be easy for them. But that's all right. Yeah. Well, all right. So the good news is that we have our semifinal bracket completely filled yeah. out now. So, so our semifinals really look like the rogue versus the paladin on the martial side and the druid versus the sorcerer on the spellcaster side. Oh, wow. Wow. It's like so many of my favorite classes have made it this far, and I'm just so happy. Yeah, a lot of your classes have made it. It's literally like the three characters I'm playing right now, a druid, a sorcerer, and a rogue. Poor clerics. Poor clerics. It's fine. sweet clerics. Uh, Before we wrap up today, Matt, would you like to plug yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm uh, an actor and a writer looking for work, so please hire me. You can follow me on Instagram at Days of Our Matt, where I will also post about upcoming projects and um, things that I'm working on, because I've got a couple couple little projects in post-production now that hopefully will be dropping soon. I feel like I shouldn't talk about them too soon, because I have collaborators who I don't think would appreciate that. So you're going to have to follow and find out. Yeah, you'll have to follow and follow what, what I'm what I'm up to. Mostly nerd-based content, um, mostly writing and acting and those sorts of things. And also, if you want me to play in your D&D campaign, I would love to. <laughs> yes. So just keep just me in mind Just putting out a, play, a player request. Yeah, exactly. Just like a casting call. We should have a Dungeons & Gathers like, casting call group where we just push players into different D&D groups. Oh, that honestly yes. sounds lovely. Straw Hat Productions who? Yeah. <laughs> We're the Straw Sorry. Hats for D&D. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Ready to take us out, Josh? I am, yes. Thank you guys all so much for listening today. And just so you know, we're talking love about the rogues here, but you don't need expertise, you don't need proficiency, bonus, and charisma to know that you can like and subscribe to the Dungeons & Gatherers podcast.